a conspectus of loss of earnings claims in personal injury and clinical negligence litigation. You're listening to The Civil Lawcast, a regular series on issues of interest and developments in civil law brought to you by the members of 39 Essex Chambers. Hello and welcome to the final part of this four-part mini-series where we have been discussing common types of claims arising out of personal injury and clinical negligence litigation. My name is Ashley Pratt and I'm a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers specialising in personal injury and clinical negligence actions. In this episode, I will be dealing with a conspectus of loss of earnings claims in personal injury and clinical negligence litigation. If you have any questions about this episode or any of the other episodes in this series, please feel free to email marketing at 39essex.com. I'm going to split this episode into two broad parts. Firstly, I'm going to be dealing with past loss of earnings. This will be axiomatically shorter than the second topic, which will concentrate on future loss of earnings. First then, past loss of earnings. This aspect of a schedule of damages should theoretically at least be straightforward. In the most simplistic of claims, you should be acquiring evidence to support a salary loss, calculation net of tax, national insurance, and any other contributions such as pensions. You then work out the period of time the claimant was off work and calculate the pro rata loss. The difficulty in past loss of earnings claims often arises when when the claimant has difficulties in supplying evidence of his or her past loss of earnings because they have, for example, only recently been employed or are self-employed or have, for example, failed to make the relevant declarations to the HMRC or have been employed on and off over the previous period. There isn't time in this short podcast to deal with the tricky uh, claims, for example, for dealing with HMRC liabilities, but our team would be more than willing to assist with any of your trickier queries. Good practice will dictate that you obtain salary slips or bank statements for the past six months to confirm loss of earnings. Much shorter periods may be acceptable, but this of course is going to invite criticism from the defendant or insurer. In past loss of earnings claims, it is easy to overlook one further factor, proof of the assumption that the claimant would have continued to have worked such hours in the same job at the same rate during the relevant period. The said assumption does require proof and may form the basis of justifiable questioning by a defendant. A defendant may raise questions such as, would the claimant's job have remained open during the relevant period? Or for example, was the claimant in pursuit of alternative, less paid employment for congeniality reasons? Often a claimant will seek to justify salary increases but this should be evidenced by seniors at work. Other factors that might be taken into account are comorbidities, i.e. would the claimant have had time off work in the event as they were already due to, for example, have an operation? Was the claimant in reality too ill to work? Has the accident merely exacerbated or accelerated the inevitable comorbidities that the claimant was already predisposed to? That was a very short whistle-stop tour into past loss of earnings claims, but I will move on to the trickier world of future loss of earnings given the time constraints. 
future or prospective loss of earnings. In this section, I'm going to deal with three topics. Multiplicand, multipliers, global assessments to include Blumier Awards. And finally, I deal with Smith and Manchester Awards, which was touched upon in the previous episode. Before I do start on the first of those topics, it's worth restating the obvious, that when considering future loss of earnings claims, you are by definition dealing with future unknowns. Thus, all such sums are speculative, and thus proof of such claims is often open to attack because of their speculative nature. The multiplicand multiplier approach. Starting with the multiplicand, this is simply an amount of loss that is being claimed annually to take account of the prospective loss that will accrue in the future by virtue of the claimant no longer being able to work because the talking question has caused a future period of unemployment. Often, a starting point for assessing the multiplicand in loss of earnings claims is to look at what the claimant earned prior to the accident or incident in question. This will often allow at least a starting point for a schedule of loss. Often, the court will take into account differing rates of multiplicand unless there is good evidence that the claimant would have, on balance, at some point in the future, have increased their earning capacity through, example, a promotion. In certain cases, therefore, you will find that you have differing multiplicands and therefore differing multipliers. Once you have a multiplicand, in certain cases, you will require a multiplier where a claimant's loss of earnings claim is likely to be stretched out over an extended period of time. The multiplier is a figure which is ascertained to multiply the multiplicand to calculate the loss of earnings over a period of years. As we are here dealing with lump sum awards, interest, often referred to as the investment return, has to be taken into account as in theory interest will be earned on the lump sum award over the ensuing years. And this needs to be taken into account when assessing a fair level of compensation, which has been considered when producing the multiplier figure. Thus, if a loss of earnings claim is based over 10 years, then simply allowing the claimant a multiplier of 10 without more will traditionally have been seen to have been overcompensating the claimant. As such, one would expect the multiplier to be less than 10 to take account of this. In order to work out the multiplier for loss of earnings over a certain period, one has to look at the Ogden tables or facts and figures. Taking the example of a 10 years loss of earnings claim and then look at what the appropriate discount is to take account of the investment return. However, we live in strange times, much of which can be traced back to the financial crisis in 2007 to 2008. The discount rate as of the 5th of August 2019 is actually set at minus 0.25%. Therefore, when the Lord Chancellor set the rate in accordance with Section 1 of the Damages Act 1996, the view being taken was that the lump sum award a claimant received would actually lose value as opposed to the, the traditional view that a lump sum would gain money over the years. Take, for example, Table 9 of the Ogden Tables, which deals with male loss of earnings to pension age of 65. A 20-year-old male would have 45 years to work until retirement. The multiplier at present, without taking into account other contingencies, is 46.53, i.e. more than the number of years that the 20-year-old would have been in employment but for the accident. This is, of course, a relatively straightforward example, 
but there are occasions when a multiplier requires splitting. For example, where a claimant successfully argues that he or she would have had an increase in earnings at a defined point in the future. There isn't time to deal with split multipliers in this mini-series, but again, we would be happy to assist with questions arising out of split multipliers. In calculating the multiplier, one has to take into account other discount factors, such as those factors set out in Table A of the Ogden Tables. For example, level of qualification, which also requires factoring in. Other matters that are usually taken into account are risk of redundancy, claimant's comorbidities, i.e. is it likely that he would have had to have stopped work earlier because of non-accident related ill health, the claimant's history of employment, i.e. did they have a regular working pattern, any past periods of unemployment. In some cases, the multiplier multiplicand approach will not suffice because, for example, the claimant is unable to produce evidence to support such an approach because of future events are too uncertain. There is, in theory, nothing to prevent the court when calculating future loss of earnings claims from simply applying a very broad brush approach to a loss of earnings claim. Thus, whilst a multiplier multiplicand approach may be pleaded, a court may, in doing justice to the parties, find that whilst he or she hasn't proven their case using the multiplier multiplicand approach, that they have justified a loss of earnings claim and the court will do the best it can to assess such a loss. Further approaches have been adopted by the courts in circumstances where the multiplier multiplicand approach has not believed to have been suitable. A Blamir Award is one of those examples, which is named after the decision in Blamir versus South Cumbria Health Authority. A Blamir Award is where a court awards a lump sum payment in respect of future losses, taking into account the claimant's future handicap on the labor, open labour market which has arisen as a result of the tort. In Blamir, the court would not allow a multiplier multiplicand award because it felt that the claimant's future losses were too uncertain. The claimant was probably going to be part-time working, the mortgage would be less of a burden as the years went on, this potentially reducing the need for the claimant to work, and the claimant may have had more children. In such cases, the court, whether it's called a Blamir award or not, will look to do the best it can to put the claimant back into the position that he or she would have been but for the accident. Finally, I deal with Smith, Smith and Manchester Awards. A Smith and Manchester Award is usually provided for in compensating a claimant for the disadvantage where the claimant to find him or herself on the open labour market because of his injury. The compensation is to protect and or provide for the claimant in the future where he or she may be made redundant. His employer may transfer the business or for a host of other reasons, the claimant is facing an open labour market in circumstances where they are at a disadvantage in obtaining another job because of their injury. A Smith and Manchester award is by definition contingent on speculative future events. Often, the courts have looked at calculating a Smith & Manchester award based on a multiplier of a claimant's net annual income. Each case axiomatically has to be dealt with on its own facts when considering such an award. It is, in my view, useful to look at other awards that courts have awarded claimants in respect of Smith & Manchester claims, as it will allow you to gauge 
or to assess the likely damages that a court will award you in your specific case. Thanks for listening. At 39 Essex Chambers, we cover a vast array of practice areas and sectors. You can find out more about our expertise and our barristers at 39essex.com, where you can also see our extensive catalogue of articles, podcasts and webinars. Thank you.